0: Welcome back. We're joined by Grant Smith, the Director of Research at the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy in Washington, D.C. While many have talked about the now notorious document of 1996 called A Clean Break, A New Strategy for Securing the Realm, Mr. Smith's group has looked at it in relation to where our policy is today and who is running that policy. In their report entitled Clean Break or Dirty War, Israel's Foreign Policy Directives to the United States, the pro-Israeli camp Scores quite well on this, Mr. Smith. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you um, for inviting me. I'm going to call you Grant just because Mr. Smith doesn't sound Wonderful. quite right. <laughs> I want to. Um, I have to say, Jim. Jim, the host of this program, is the first um, person I know of that dealt uh, way back when mm-hmm. with the origins of that document. Right. Um, newly elected Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu assembled his study group of experts to look at how they can um, do better with regards to their objectives in terms of U.S. Middle East policy directives. And they assembled, at the time, Richard Pearl, Doug Feith, others like that. And there's been now, recently, post-Iraq war, even now some are talking about it in terms of what's happening in Lebanon, a new examination among many to say, you know, there this was discussed a while ago in some way. And it's no longer the idea of, you know, we love conspiracy theories sometimes. This isn't that. This was, this was something that was laid out to say this is how we can achieve the following objectives. Talk to us a bit about the, the origins of the, the first document and why your group chose to specifically look at um, today's.
1: Sure. Back in 2003, we first picked up the topic uh, when we began casting about as professional researchers for some explanations about why we were rushing headlong into Iraq uh, the feeling was the explanations that were being given and sort of this uh, very light debate over patriotism fighting terrorism none of it made any sense um, we anchored our research on the Clean Break Plan because it had so many prominent figures who later went into the Bush administration such as of course, Richard Pearl became the, the head of the Defense Policy Board. Douglas Feith was Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. David Wormser, who's, who's gone up to be uh, Dick Cheney's chief Middle East advisor. And even at that point, when you looked, uh, really uh, dissected the document and looked at what it was uh, purporting, uh, it was very clear that the strategies uh, within that document which were written uh, to secure Israel's uh, future in the region uh, seem to be under implementation by the United States uh, since that time uh, the document uh, uh, you can call it conspiracy theory if you want there are a lot of theories in the document uh, you, uh, that, that you could uh, uh, really uh, discuss I think the most interesting uh, uh, that we've seen is a complete rejection of land for peace Mm -hmm. for this concept of peace for peace. Uh, Even though uh, in intervening years we've seen great studies such as Robert Pape's analysis of suicide terrorism that shows that most of the fighting going on in the region is an attempt to rid certain regions of occupying forces. This document makes a number of very bold yet empirically uh, baseless uh, slogans which have been driving Bush administration policy. We can say that after 9-11 this document became the operating system uh, for regional policy where uh, there was chaos and, 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 and administration looking for, for ways to grapple with issues in the region. Uh, the neoconservative advisors kind of slid this policy into the uh, the processor of power there in the White House.
0: Um, I know this is complete speculation, but that's part of what we do when we have these discussions. But I often wonder if this would have been possible, what we're seeing today, had 9-11 not happened. Do you think this... I don't,
1: I don't think so. Let, let's look at a historic example of a, a group of uh, advisors who were not serving the U.S. government's interests going off freelancing. Thomas Jefferson had this problem with all sorts of freelance... Def- uh, diplomats going over to France to try and cut deals and, and, uh, and, and make arrangements uh, for the new emerging uh, republic. And he quickly said, this is chaos and mm-hmm. this does not serve our interests. And, and that's why he imposed a law which is still in the books called the Logan Act saying, this is ridiculous uh... you know if we follow these types of policy we're gonna do something harebrained and really stupid like in this case invade iraq mm-hmm. um, I, I think uh, the the chaos event needed to happen many neoconservatives foresaw this in a document called rebuilding america's defenses they mm-hmm. said we might not be able to rebuild america's military might and begin doing what we need to do short of a cataclysmic event. uh... so i think uh, there did something did need to happen for these policies to be, to, to be implemented um, and, and uh, we do have historical references we can make of other times of chaos where similar things happened.
0: It's a, an evening of report cards, so to speak. Let's, <laughs> let's put it up on the screen. I want to go through these in terms of the, the five objectives that they, they had. Sure. Increase U.S. congressional support, peace for peace, as right. a new strategy, contain, destabilize, and roll back regional challengers, domestic economic reform, and the rejuvenation of Zionism. Um, I all think, sure. all
1: mm-hmm.
0: very high scores, with the exception of domestic economic reform. Um, again, this is, this is policy objectives with regards to the U.S. for Israel. And now we're looking at... T- tell me the, the piece about congressional support.
1: Sure. Well, let's just back up to economics. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Among neoconservatives in general, you find very few economists and and actually very little relevant experience in building economies. So it's not surprising (laughs) that at the time we wrote this report, Israel had something like 108% of its GDP in in foreign debt and and chaos in terms of state-run industries. Um, The neoconservatives that wrote this really didn't have a plan, and they didn't really even focus on that aspect. They just kind of threw it in there. In terms of Congressional support, uh, it's amazing what this document states. Uh, For example, there's a very clear piece in there talking about how in the interest of moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, congressmen should be uh, tempted with pork with missile defense contracts to make them more interested in Israel. Two completely unrelated topics Mm -hmm. uh, in order to secure a policy objective there. Um, you could say uh, that uh, this group of advisors that's, that's attempting to do these things on behalf of a foreign power, there are actually laws on the book, such as the uh, Foreign Agent Registration Act, which explicitly prohibit that type of activity. So there's some very strange and troubling information if you read the Clean Break Plan carefully. Um, moving on to the, to the other points um, the piece for piece yeah, for peace for peace is a remarkable achievement. A remarkable achievement. <laughs> I mean the uh,
0: idea of, of occupation right. that there is occupied land that you trade land for peace really has changed in terms of the discourse on this issue. I mean well, it's not
1: This the crowning achievement of this document is what's getting the president to say in 2004 in spring conjunction mm-hmm. with a visit with uh, Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, that it's no longer realistic to believe uh, that there can be any return to 48 armistice lines. Or another, uh, other, uh, in other words, yes, there will be no land for peace, a complete adoption of the Clean Break plan. So um, you know we've summarized into these five major points, uh, but you can actually detect about 32 separate policy goals of which most at this time, this is 2003, most have been accomplished, including now challenging Syria in Lebanon proper. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get our callers to join us on our conversation. We have a call from Florida. Good evening, caller.
1: Good evening. First of all, I want to thank you. What a breath
0: of fresh air to uh, actually hear some intelligent uh, uh, Talk about what's going on in the region. I just wanted to make a comment and then ask a question. Mm-hmm. First of all, it seems like the United States policy has completely destabilized the region. Uh, we've increased the hostility toward the United States. Uh, we've uh, increased the hostility from one faction and another: Sunnis and the Shiites. Uh, that 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 has increased since we've uh, gone our policies over there. And I wonder if we ever think that promoting democracy through the barrel of a gun will ever actually promote democracy. It, it it seems to me it's done nothing but destabilize the region, increase the hate for the United States, and also increase the chance of, of terrorism uh, toward the United States.
1: Thank you. Caller? Well, that's, that's, why, uh, that's a good point. That's why we named this report Clean Break or Dirty War. What happens in a dirty war? Lots of sort of unexplicable death going on of major leaders, such as Rafik Hariri and even uh, Yasser Arafat, waning high and then low-intensity conflict, And people questioning who's behind all of this violence in many of the the major battlefronts. Uh, And so I think uh, the idea uh, that this so-called clean break has devolved into a dirty war is exactly what the caller is talking about. Our our premise is the authors of this report were extremely naive, had no idea what they were getting into when they proposed so many destabilizing changes in this very complex region. Um, And if we look at for example, uh, uh, the last hundred years of U.S. interventions. There's a wonderful book out now called "Overthrow," examining uh, everything from, you know, Hawaii to the Philippines to Guatemala, Chile. Mm-hmm. Most U.S. interventions, in terms of leaving behind a stable government, have not been very successful exercises. So the the idea that this was going to come out of this strategic plan uh, was. Overly optimistic and extremely disappointing to Americans who had no idea uh, that this is what was really going on.
0: Our next caller is from Georgia. Good evening, caller. Do we have Georgia? Let's go to Washington instead. Good evening, caller.
1: Yeah, Thank you very much. I appreciate your program, and uh, again, the, the caller before me, uh, the uh, chance to hear some intelligent speaking. Um, I have a, a preface and then a question. Um, it appears to me that America is uh, trying to, with the, with the neocons and this new plan, trying to separate itself from all the modern conventions, uh, whether it's the Geneva or the UN, uh, mm-hmm. nuclear proliferation, to try to maybe back out of all of these agreements to become a rogue nation and, maybe in partnership with Israel. Um, what are your thoughts on on something of that? It's a little far out, but uh, again, it just seems odd the way we're going, that, that possibly we're trying to back out of all these agreements and institutions to be able to just pretty much rule and do what we want on our own.
0: Thank you, caller. The first problem with our engagement in Iraq was that it was unilateral. Many have, have right, at least acknowledged Right, as opposed to Gulf War 1. opposed what we've done in but all the, other the cases. But the bigger
1: picture that the caller is mentioning is true. You look at all of the neoconservative intellectual legal experts from John Yoo to, to others in the University of Chicago, there's virtually no respect whatsoever for international law or international conventions. Uh, many have stated that it's a fiction Uh, that it's simply uh, an agreement between major powers with no enforcement power. So there's this extreme disdain for international law and conventions, uh, everything from the the chemical protocols to weaponizing space, uh, which, you know, back 20 years ago, you didn't want to weaponize space because it would be a drain on the economy. Now there's just this complete disdain for all of these treaties that were signed uh, in the past. A lot of this, we believe, has leaked into disdain for domestic and U.S. law. Um, we've put out a report called Deadly Dogma, which lists a lot of U.S. statutes which if properly enforced, we believe, would have severely hampered a lot of activity over the last 30 years, and particularly with respect to the Logan Act, mm-hmm. uh, which I mentioned in passing, in FARA.
0: I'm um, going to ask you, quickly, we've got, uh, we had a lot of callers hold, so if I can get my last question in from Rhode Island. Good evening, caller, quickly. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. Go ahead. Good, great show. Uh, listen, Um, a lot of people that I talk to don't understand why we're really over in Iraq. <laughs> uh, the question I want to ask, and this is ignorant, but I think a lot of people should uh, know this, that uh, there were no al-Qaeda over in, in Iraq, and we didn't bomb, I mean, we know why we would know it. It was for the oil, and that's why the they started burning the oil wells because they knew it. So Thank you, Colin. I'm going to cut you off only to give you... We've got about a minute for you to right. answer. Well,
1: I mean, that's... Uh, neo, broader neoconservative documents than this would say it was oil, Israel, and logistics, and, and you can kind of portion the priority in there. But clearly, moving troops from Saudi Arabia north, having control and power projection over the region, and securing the realm uh, were all, in the eyes of neoconservatives, more than enough reason to devote U.S. resources to the endeavor.
0: Do you think very quickly the Syria angle of this, do you see that as, what are the possibilities? Our
1: policy with Syria is so utterly um, inane that you can only believe that a lot of it's derived from this type of thinking. The Syrians are desperate to open up a dialogue with us. They've helped us capture terrorists post-9-11. We've done nothing for Syria.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you and can continue this discussion longer. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have. Please email us with your questions or comments at view at AAI I want to thank my guests, Mark Perry, Brian Ketoulis, and Grant Smith. We'll see you next week on Viewpoint.